Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast, brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat official. I'm Carter, and I'm back with the one and only bearded wonder himself, Mr. Perry Eisner. What's up, Perry? What's up? Oh, not much, man. Two weeks in a row. Well, I don't know when this one's going to come out, but it's been two weeks in a row for me and you. We're on a roll. Oh, we are. It feels like the good old days. Oh, is he froze or am I froze? Um... I lost you guys. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I lost you too, Carter. <laughs> cool. Hey, we're going to rock it with this storm, and we're going to do the best we can. Let's go ahead and introduce our esteemed guest this week. We got uh, Mr. Chad Riker, out-of-state hunter himself, jumping on with us. So, Chad, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. Esteemed might be a stretch. I really wish I had a cool name like The Bearded Wonder. That was awesome. <laughs> um, got to work on the beard, man. Uh, well, I just got rid of it, actually. So oh. uh, I started mine in about September last year. No, it was in October. And I let it go all the way through my January deer hunts. And then it was time to shave it. I can't take it. I can't take it. We were talking before the show. I'm prior military guy. So I, there's something about just being shaven that I, I'm used to. And, and I the beard drives me crazy. So I stick it out I for a little bit. I thought it would have been the opposite. Once you get out, you just rock it like full yeah, flesh. Some guys do. I, I can't. So I had my <laughs> hair was long. I'd let my hair go for about four months or whatever that time frame was. And then I had my beard and, and it was time to let it, it was time to cut it. It was, I was a mess, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, Chad, yeah. we, uh, we got a lot of uh, vets and, you know, active duty members on our team and on our listener base as a whole, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did in the, with your time in the military? Sure. So I had a plenty of time in the military. Um, I retired in 2020 right before COVID. And, um, I, so when I joined, I, I joined the military on September. Well, I won't say I joined, but I walked into the recruiter's office on September 12th, 2001. Um, the day following the, the attacks in New York, and um, walked in, started talking to him, and had made the decision that I was going to join the military. And then I ended up joining a couple months later. You know, you got to do all the tests and you, you got to go through and the the process. But I, I ended up joining in March and um, joined. I came in as a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout. The uh, recruiter got me on that one. I, I laugh about that a little bit. I, well, I was one of those guys that scored pretty high on all of my tests when I was coming in. And they told me. You can do whatever you want, right? You pick a job, you can do whatever you want in the military. And unfortunately for me, probably fortunate for the recruiter, but like two days before that, I had watched the movie Black Hawk Down and I walked in there just ready to fight, man. Like I was so ready for combat and just, <laughs> I was ready to go. So I, I joined as 19 Delta Cav Scout, did that for several years and had a pretty rough go there. I had a couple of roadside bomb incidents and then I, uh, had another incident with a sniper that got me instead of me getting him. Um, so that kind of transitioned my career. I, I had decided that the, that combat arms life was a bit rough and, and I moved on. So then I went military intelligence and ended up finishing my career as a, as a warrant officer, military intelligence warrant officer. So I never complained. I had to retire early. So I retired at 18 years and, um, you know, it was kind of a bummer. I, I wanted to do my 20. 
And the doctors just wouldn't let me at that point. I had had some back issues that were pretty bad. And the doctors said that that's it, you know, because I was trying to deploy, like I was one of them hard charging dudes. And I'm, I'm over there telling my doctor, like, you're not going to keep me from going to Afghanistan. And, and the doctor laughed a little bit. And the next morning I had paperwork on the desk, you know, that was, you're getting out, you're done. <laughs> so they got me. But it it all worked out, man, and and I served my my eighteen years, which I think was was pretty good. Eighteen years, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and now you get to talk hunting and and chase critters all over the United yeah. States, just carrying yeah, a rifle all over. <laughs> yep, I still work for the government. I I work for the Air Force now, um, just a civilian, but it does allow me a lot of time, right? And and that retiring from the military and then taking this job put me in new mexico which is in the heart of some really really great wild game out here and some western hunting got beautiful elk out here in new mexico and some great deer just north i've got colorado arizona's right next door so there's a lot of really really good hunting out here so you know this this worked out pretty good to to just retire and end up here in, in new mexico are you from that area originally chad or did you grow up somewhere no. else Born and raised Indiana boy. So gotcha. Midwest. Um, born and raised in Indiana. Never really hunted when I was when I was young. I did with my dad a little bit, you know, growing up and I had a bow and I used to shoot target stuff when I was a kid. And then I started chasing girls and you know, found bush light beer and, and whatever. And you know, priorities change a little bit there when you're a young guy. And then I joined the military, so then I was always gone and um I've rarely did I, I did very very little hunting um later on in my military career i met my wife and my wife was from west texas and i had gone out her her dad is a ranch manager out in west texas and uh we would go out on those ranches and see some really nice bucks and you know we'd see a lot of cool animals and that's kind of where my big game bug started was hunting out in west texas and chasing barbary sheep and mule deer out there so, and then it, then it just took off like a rocket from there, man. Once I started, once I got that bug, it was over. That's a hell of a place to cut your teeth on big game hunting <laughs> yeah. when you can hunt all of the crazy species they have down there in West Texas. Yeah, it was really cool. And having that opportunity because, you know, West, all that area out there is just private land. It's all owned. It's big ranches, big cattle ranches and uh, it's kind of hard to find good spots to hunt, but I had access to my father-in-law at the time back then he was managing a ranch that was 55,000 acres and we could just cruise on that. And, you know, I mean, we just, you could spend all day out there just shooting coyotes and looking at deer. And, um, there's some elk herds that run out there. So we'd see elk and just really, really cool stuff. So very spoiled for, for that. Shit on fifty five thousand acres, you can spend all week and not see the same rock twice. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a lot of land, and you know, then it was just drive around in the truck and and shoot animals. And then as I kind of got more into the western style hunting, you know, with the backpack and boots on your feet and and really walking around, uh, then I I would just he would drop me off in the middle of nowhere on these ranches and I would just kind of make my way back and hike through some pretty cool terrain and get back in some of those real deep canyons and spend a lot of time back there. And that's, I started seeing some really cool stuff back in, back in those deep canyons that nobody would seen in 
in years and years, you know, cause nobody, them ranchers, they don't get out of those trucks and, yeah. and they might go horseback or something, but they don't get, they don't walk into those big deep canyons. It was, it was really cool. And I still get out there every now and then he's on a different ranch now, but, and it's about the same size. Um, that one is a little bit different though. The hunting is kind of limited. The The landowner doesn't necessarily really appreciate people hunting out there. So, um, I'll still go look at game out there and, and just kind of spend time, but don't really get to hunt out there. That's fantastic, man. Then how did that kind of transition into what you do now? When did you kind of make that jump? And then can you tell us a little bit about how would you consider what you do now? Yeah. So what I do now, I just do a lot of Western, Western hunting now. That's, you know, I draw the tags and well, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the Western big game draw system and tag system. Cause it's completely different than, than that Eastern stuff. Um, I made that transition. So at the time, uh, I was bouncing around in the military. I, when I started Western hunting, I was in San Antonio, Texas. I was stationed out there and there wasn't really much to hunt. If I wanted to go hunt, I had to go out to, to West Texas, to the ranch, or I had a couple of contacts that had small little, um, feeder lots, you know, where they had deer feeders set up and you could go out there and they'd spread some corn and the deer come in you shoot the deer right like it's not really a big challenge and a lot of pigs so we'd hunt a lot of pigs and little white tail bucks and does and stuff and that to me man I, I just i think throughout my military career i had so much adventure and just so much like there there was just a lot going on especially early in my career and there came a point where i, I just kind of wanted something some kind of adventure um it's kind of a funny story. I, I will try to make this quick, but this was how I was introduced to, to Western hunting, right? So I was on a deployment down in uh, Belize in Central America. And one of my, I didn't even know what a podcast was at that time, right? I had no idea what a podcast was. And one of my buddies was like, hey man, um, we were driving. We spent a lot of time in the car doing missions and doing stuff. And he's like, well, the radio down here sucks and everything's in Spanish and we don't speak Spanish. So we need, we, we're going to do podcasts. Right. <laughs> and so he put on a podcast and I was like, Holy crap, what is this thing? Like, this is incredible. What a great way to like share information and, and, and just that's really engaging. So that was kind of in the back of my mind. Like this, this is kind of a neat deal. Um, later on in that deployment, we were shacked up in a hotel somewhere and I was, I had my computer and I was on YouTube and, um, at the, at the time I did a lot of long range shooting and I was really into long range shooting stuff, but I was on YouTube and you know how sometimes YouTube just will take, it'll navigate you into videos that you don't, are not interested <laughs> in at all. Right. That their algorithms do that. And I ended up watching this video and it was, it was Randy Newberg. If you're familiar with Randy Newberg oh, yeah. and it was one of those ones where Randy Newberg is talking about the Western hunting and how it's so accessible. And he was talking about public lands and how you can access public lands. And that was so foreign to me because I, I grew up in Indiana and I, I think it's a lot like Georgia where you got to lease your ground that you're going to hunt or you have to know somebody or you know grandma's got a few acres that she lets you hunt deer on and it the west is totally different so here i am i'm, I'm looking for an adventure and i'm 
figuring out what podcasts are and now I'm starting to figure out what elk hunting is and it all just kind of came together, you know, and I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to go elk hunting, except I don't know how to do that. So I want to talk to people that do that. I think I'm going to start one of these podcast things, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I got home from Belize. I, I got home from that deployment and I fired up a podcast. And like you said in the beginning, dude, we'll just figure it out, right? And um, I I figured out what a podcast was. I figured out how to do all of that stuff and, and um, ended up. I was supposed to hunt that first year and I ended up with another. I had to go to um, Honduras and Guantanamo Bay. So it kind of, and all of that was happening like right in September timeframe. So I didn't get to go that year, but I ended up going the the following year. And that was my first trip out West. And that was a Colorado elk. Like, you know, I think that's a really good introduction to elk hunting. Most people start in Colorado. Uh, So yeah, yeah, it was a big, there was a whole lot going on there, man. And it was just a guy with a little bit of spare time trying to, figure stuff out so pretty cool pretty cool stuff yeah it was all winging it man it, and in the very beginning i had a partner who started um not this podcast so i have two podcasts i have this uh, i have out of state hunter and um and we'll talk more about that in a minute but and then i have another one that's called backcountry rookies and uh, backcountry rookies has been around for like seven years, I think six or seven years. I started that a long time ago. Um, that thing's been through ups and downs and it's been all around, man. At, at one point in time, I lost, I had like 230 some episodes and I lost all of those and I had to restart the whole podcast and start a new feed. And so I had to completely restart that thing and get it up and going again. And then I started out of state hunter and, uh, country rookies was started because I, like I said, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I didn't know as far as hunting goes. And I thought, well, this is, I'm just going to put it out there. Cause if I don't know what I'm doing, there's other people that don't know what they're doing and there are backcountry rookies also. So we started that me and my buddy started backcountry rookies and, um, our schedules just, they just didn't jive. Like we were having to, you know, I was having some, some pretty big name people come on the podcast in the beginning and I was having to cancel with them at times because their like schedules just didn't match, and, and that didn't work for me. I felt terrible canceling on on some people, and well, any any time I have to. But um, so we he went his own way, and I you know, he, and I went my own way and kept the podcast going. But yeah, yeah, it's been a journey, dude. <laughs> like it, <laughs> this whole thing has been a journey for sure. Yep podcasting is is uh it's a journey for sure carter and i have experienced some of those those ups and downs as well as has the the hle podcast as a whole and i mean it's a great way to to learn what you don't know um and figure mm-hmm. some things out and it, but it's man it's a it's such a it's such a great way to talk to fascinating folks like yourself folks from all different walks of life all different skill sets levels of experience yeah um it's and it's it really is a, an awesome resource for beginners for new folks that are interested um you know you think about all the the new hunters that that came about um during covid and what a tremendous resource all of the the i mean there's an absolute wealth of information out there with all of the mm-hmm. podcasts um regarding hunting yeah 
Oh, there's so much information out there. I love it. I can't even, I can't listen to all of the podcasts that I want to. It seems like I'm either editing my own or, or there's a couple out there that I tune into on a pretty regular basis. And the bad thing is, is a lot of those aren't even hunting related. <laughs> you know, there, right. there's some other topic that I'm, that I'm interested in as well. And, um, I get an, I get a lot of hunting content, a lot of conversation because just through the podcast, you know, I talk, talk to people all over the place. It's true. So, isn't it? I never thought about that yeah. before. I used to listen to podcasts nonstop on the way to work and yeah. at the gym and all the time. And now, now I, I don't <laughs> Yeah, because I'm yeah, always, yeah, totally. always doing a podcast thing. Unless it's another topic, there's some that I'll listen to. Like if there's a, to uh, uh, you know, I, I subscribe to a ton of different podcasts and they'll pop up, you know, and I'll see that there's a new show. And if it's a topic that I'm really interested in, or it's something that's kind of new to me, I'll listen to that. But for the most part, it's, I do my own, you know, I'll edit stuff and, and that's about all I do. And then you know how it goes, right? You get tired and I've taken some breaks in in the podcasting where I've gone like three months without recording a show, Yeah, which people say just, you, you should never do that. But man, you get tired and, and it's kind of exhausting and then life gets busy and, and there's things going on in the background and, and you just got to step back. And, and I've always told my wife, like, <laughs> you're you're first you know if there's something if i need to take a break i'm not taking a break from you i'm gonna the podcast will shut down for a couple of months and and we'll you know you'll be number one but uh that's she's a, been really supportive too which is that's helped a lot in the beginning she was like what the hell is this what is the what are you doing man like a podcast and after <laughs> after it went on and she saw that it was something that was going to continue um she's started to support it and she's like okay well this is actually pretty cool that uh, yeah that makes all it's the fun. difference having a having a supportive wife and there's a there's a pro tip for all you young podcasters out there don't uh don't put it in front of the old marriage that that <laughs> yeah that's, you gotta, that's you a, gotta keep the that wedding happy. That, that stays on the front burner the podcast Not if just it has to <laughs> that's yeah hunting in general or anything else yeah. for that matter Yep. Yep. <laughs> so we sit down every year, man. This is a, this is something my wife and I do every year. Uh, well in the West. So some of your listeners may not know how that, how the West works, but every year there's applications and there's draw seasons, right? And there's like, right now we're in the middle of application season and for almost all of the Western States. And, um, that usually starts around now and then it'll go through, gosh, it kind of goes all year long, but Anyway, my wife and I sit down in January and we talk about what vacations does she want to do? What plans do I have? And we sit down and we put everything kind of a rough draft on a calendar so that throughout the year, we both kind of know what plans are, you know? And this year, it just so happens that there's some stuff that came up in, in late September. And then we've got some other stuff planned for early October and for the listeners, that's elk rut right there. Like the last two weeks of September and the first week of October, it's on and, and I'm shut down this year. So I don't, I, I won't be out for, for the rut, but whatever, man, it's, it's okay. I'm okay with that. I guess I keep telling myself I'm okay with it. That's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. and good. Uh, I want to talk to you about your strategy and that's a whole different part of the strategy that people may not forget because they got screaming bulls at the front of their mm -hmm. mind right and yep. really 
you got to make sure everything at home is taken care of so that you can go abroad and enjoy the trip yeah. and, and make sure everything's squared away there. If, if everything's squared away at home, you get to do these opportunities more often and enjoy them, right? You want to enjoy the trip when you're on it. Right. And if you don't have service or something, maybe, or you don't have an inReach or a satellite communicator, having that in the back of your mind and knowing that everything was caught up and that everything was done before you went on that trip, it leaves you a little bit settled when you're up in the mountains and you can't make that phone call every day, you know, that text message home or whatever. You might only get it, that get something out every two or three days, but just knowing that you left stuff in good order gives it gives me peace of mind when i when i go to the mountains so, and it gives my wife peace of mind too it really helps to get caught up and i'm usually running around like a chicken with my head cut off two days before like haven't packed yet need an oil change in the truck like i need 15 different things done and i'm out mowing the lawn and you know i'm still doing all of those honeydew lists to get it right and when i first started that stuff really bothered me like oh god i'm gonna miss an opportunity or I'm going to miss something. And, and now I'm just kind of like, I'll get there. I'll get out there, yeah. whatever. <laughs> it, it, it's not the end of the world. If I'm two hours late to camp or a day late or whatever, it works out. Yeah. Always does. Yeah. <laughs> Chad, you, you talked about looking for that, um, that adventure, right. When you first got into Western hunting and, and as a lot of listeners will be able to relate to just, just the process of trying to figure out the Western system with tags and draws and, and units. And, and if you are, you know, private land hunters, primarily like, you know, Carter and I were, and it sounds like you were, um, public land and, and which pieces you have access to and, and all the, just all of the different moving parts that in and of itself can be an adventure, right. And it can be very mm -hmm. daunting. Um, you know, I've, I've dipped my toes into the Western world of hunting a couple of times in recent years, SS Carter, but there's still a lot to learn and a lot to figure out. So, um, walk us through what that process looked like for you and, and, and how you figured some of that stuff out. And, you know, like what, what strategies you use in terms of where you're going to focus your, your applications for points and, and units and, and, you know, just unpack that a bit. Yeah. My first couple of years were an absolute disaster. Yeah. <laughs> the planning, <laughs> I like all of it, but, but luckily we have, podcasts right we have things like this where we can kind of talk through them and there's a million youtube videos out there where you can watch and try to get some of that knowledge um my first so i was really really lucky because i did have the podcast but my first year uh my first th three years i went to colorado and bought over-the-counter tags right which like I, I think i said it earlier i think a lot of people do that it's a really good barrier to entry to to go to Colorado because you can buy you can just go to Walmart right and you can get that tag and you can be in the mountains for now there there's some things that may be changing in the years to come there but for now you can still do that uh, luckily I had a, I had recorded a podcast with a guy and he was explaining to me the point system and how all the point stuff worked so I kind of had some insight to that and it just kind of clicked. So I was buying these over-the-counter tags and I was going and hunting in Colorado. But meanwhile, I was I was buying points in Arizona. I was buying points in Colorado and I was buying points in Wyoming. And so now 
I have points in a lot of really great states and I, and I have enough points to where I can really start drawing some, some pretty good tags. But those first few years, just sucking it up and going over the counter and being out there in the mountains with, with other, you know, hunters all over the place, um, that, that gave me, which I was learning, you know, and still learning all the time, but I didn't know what I was doing. So, and if you don't really know what you're doing, then why not go out there and do it? And over the counter unit, you know, instead of burning like 10 points and drawing a dream elk tag in Arizona or something like that and have never hunted elk before, I figured why not, right? Like I'm going to learn something every time I go out there and I've learned a ton, man. I've learned so much. Like the progression has been pretty amazing to we, me and my buddy, we were out at deer camp in, um, in Arizona this just last month in January and we were just kind of talking about like where I started and then the, the progression, you know, and kind of where, where I'm at now and, and, um, success rates and, and just being a better hunter. And a lot of that came from just going out and trying it, right. Trying stupid stuff and <laughs> trying. <laughs> I had a guy one year I was out solo hunting. I think this is my third year in Colorado and I was trying to bugle. Um, trying to call in elk, right? And I was getting responses. And I called in some really nice bulls. Had to, I never really had an opportunity, but I I had bulls close to me, right? I had bulls within like ten yards at one point, but there's just no shot. And but I was doing this bugling, and I was trying to call, and I was doing all this stuff. And later, I run into this guy at the trailhead, and he's packing out a bull. He had shot one up in the same mountain, probably the ones I scared off. But, um, <laughs> he was like, Hey, what was that you calling up there? And I was like, yeah, man, that was me. Do you, what'd you think? And he goes, well, I'm just going to say that that was one of the most interesting techniques that I've ever heard. But anyway, you just keep it up in one of these days, you know? <laughs> so in a very polite way, that dude told me that my calling was absolutely terrible. And, uh, but I didn't think it was bad. Like I said, I was calling bulls in. I, I had plenty of them around. I just couldn't take a shot. But yeah, it, it was pretty bad. And I think just you know having those opportunities like that and being able to to be in that situation and to see bulls and to have them running at you and coming in and and um, it was it was lessons learned for sure. It was pretty cool. But yeah, that dude. He was like, yeah, it was definitely an interesting technique. Anyway, good luck. You know, it reminds me of my turkey turkey calling abilities. It's like, yeah, I can get a a gobbler to sound off, but it's like you have to actually convince him that you know there's a there's a a hen there that he wants to you know that he's interested in, and and it's going to get within you know thirty yards or whatever of. It's like you kind of have to know how to actually talk turkey, and there's a big difference between um, just getting one to respond and getting one to actually you know play a little bit and come within shotgun range. Yeah. Me and a couple of buddies, we were out hunting in the Gila mountains out here in, in New Mexico one year. And these dudes, both of them are, are fantastic hunters. They're, like these dudes are awesome. And, um, they're both calling man and they couldn't get a bull to respond. Like they were struggling, right? No, no elk were talking. They were cow calling. They were, they were doing it all, trying all of it, man. And, uh, I was like, well, let me see that bugle tube. You know, I, I wasn't even carrying a bugle tube. I was kind of embarrassed at how bad of a caller I was. And so I take a 
diaphragm call and I take the bugle tube and I ripped off. I don't even know what it was, man. My buddy still calls it the Sasquatch coyote bugle. And <laughs> I'll be damned. I'm not kidding you. Within about 10 seconds after I did this just random, I don't even know, screech that this bull sounds off from down in the canyon down below us. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, I'm glad I'm here to call these bulls in for you. So, and I don't know how it worked. They, they, they're convinced that it was just so bad that that bull had to finally respond to it. So. Dude, I believe it. Some of the worst elk calls I've ever heard have been from actual elk. So you never yeah, know. That's, that's a fact. Yeah. They're not, they don't call perfectly. They're not winning competitions. No. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. Well, I think your entire – I know you from out-of-state, Hunter, and I think the entire idea behind what you do, right, trying to lower the barrier and, and teach people the rules and regs, the ins and outs. My froze again. I lost you again. Perfect. My froze again? No, you're, you're back. Oh, I'm back. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think the entire – idea behind what you do, right? Helping non-residents learn the the ins and outs, the rules and regs to, to Western hunting is a massive value add to social media, to the podcast world, to, to all of it in a world where there's like a lot of BS. I think what you're doing is freaking awesome because wading into this game, this application game in the Western States when you have no prior knowledge about it is it's daunting, right? I remember mm -hmm. when I first learned about preference points, I was like, cool, I'm going to buy 50 preference points in Colorado. Like, whatever that costs, I'm going to buy 50. And they were like, oh, one per year. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? If, yeah, you can only get one. I have, yeah. to wait, I have to wait 20 years? That's crazy, right? So, like, mm -hmm. just that right off the rip, right? And then I'm sure you've experienced all the lovely hunting Facebook forums that exist out there where people are just cutthroat and some of the worst individuals ever. If you ask for help, you know? Yeah. Not looking for a honey hole, just trying to figure out the unit, right? Trying yeah. to find a trailhead. That's <laughs> the way all Facebook start. It seems like. Yeah. Just cutthroat, man. Yeah. Um, so I started out of state hunter because of the, the madness, right? The, Idaho, what really kicked it off was um, the Idaho over-the-counter draw. What It's not even a draw, but it's kind of a draw, and it's definitely not over-the-counter. But I was trying to navigate that. And so what that is, is Idaho every year on December 1st. So Idaho used to have over-the-counter tax, but they became so popular that they had to create some sort of system in order to to manage that and so what they did was they went to an online system and you have to log in on december the first and you're given a random number when you when you log in so you log in and right at 10 o'clock everybody that's on the online at that point in time gets a random generated number this year i was like number fifteen thousand or something like that and i know people that logged in a little bit late and they were number sixty thousand which you would think that you're not going to get a tag. And reality is I actually got a pretty decent tag being number 15,000. I drew a pretty good deer tag. Um, but so learning that system in, in trying to learn that and knowing that was my first ever attempt at trying to go to Idaho. I was like, man, this is a mess. Like this, 
and the state is they manage however they want right that the game is is the resource or, or they're in charge of managing that resource and they can do it however they want to but it was just a mess and then i started looking at some other states i was looking at wyoming and i was like jesus this one's even more complicated than than going to idaho and i was familiar with colorado and i was familiar with arizona and obviously new mexico but my being familiar with them, I still knew that they were completely different than Idaho and Wyoming and Arizona's different than New Mexico and Colorado. Like they're, they're all just totally different. So I started kind of thinking, I, I kind of want to pull all these together. And I'd heard a few podcasts where they just kind of one off like Randy Newberg. I'll use him again as an example. He'll talk about Wyoming elk on a show. And then he goes like 10 shows before he talks about another state and the draw process. And I, I just kind of started thinking, like, I want to collect all of this stuff. And, and I really want to talk to the right people. Well, who's the right people then? And that was the next question I had. And you, you guys are in the podcast world, and, and you've probably seen this out of other podcasts, and I've done it on my podcasts. Um, the, you'll have a hunter that like Carter, let's say you go to Arizona and you kill a gigantic bull next year. And then all, out of the blue, you become this guest on all of these podcasts and you're like the expert on Arizona, right? Because you killed one bull in Arizona. And I, and I hope that you do kill a huge bull in Arizona someday, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that you're an expert in that state, right? You went there once you did some e-scouting, you put boots on the ground, you hunted hard, you killed a good bull. Well, my thought was that's not an expert to me. And I want to bring people on who are value added. So I started reaching out to the state game agencies to bring them on and to talk about the rules and the regulations. Cause who knows it better than the people that write that regulation or proclamation. So I have them come on and we talk through, I have a kind of a show outline that I go through. It's just a series of questions. And we talk about the general geography and kind of makeup of the state and what game animals are throughout the state, you know, in different regions throughout the state and what's the application process and is there a draw or is it all over the counter? And I just try to get as much information out of that, that agency that I can. And I try to share that because I think that's the most value that you're going to get. And so far it's been pretty well received. A lot of people that, that they do go to Western States or, or, uh, so my intent is to do all 50 states and then maintain those shows and keep them up to date. And right now I did, I did all the Western states last year. And right now I'm kind of re refreshing them, refreshing those up um, as the draw process is going through. And if there's any major changes and then I'll get back into the Eastern states. And right now I've done several of the Eastern states. Um, but I'm kind of finding out that they're not as complicated because there's not a draw system. Um, and, and some, some of them there are, you know, there's your Virginia's and Pennsylvania's and Kentucky's where you can actually draw an elk tag if you're, if you're lucky. And that's a little bit complicated, but for the most part, Eastern States are, are pretty kind to non-resident hunters. And, um, you can go to Walmart and buy a tag and, you know, you can, Man, there's some states you can pile up six deer if you want to, like Missouri or Oklahoma. You can go into those states and shoot six deer. And I haven't done Georgia yet, so I'm not 100%. You can come kill 12 here, Chad. How many? 12. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Come <laughs> down. Come down. I went the wrong direction. I should have went east instead of west from San Antonio, man. 
Yeah, dude, 12. <laughs> 10 does, two bucks. Nice. So Georgia's on my list. I, Georgia's I've always been interested in because I did live there for a while with the military. I just wasn't a hunter then. And um, I had a friend of mine that that's all he did during season. He was always out hunting deer. And, and at the time, I just wasn't that interested in it. But um, So it's coming up. It'll be probably this summer. I'll have Georgia come on. Uh, yeah, that's it. And I take everything from the non-resident perspective because you got to, as a resident, you pretty much know your state, right? You you have that system down if, if you've lived there a while. But when I talk to these game agencies, um, everything's from that non-resident perspective. So if you guys were going out to Arizona, what's the process? What's the cost? Um, is there anything you can't do? Are there certain things that you can do? Uh, it's really, really interesting to hear just the differences across each each state. It's it's mind blowing how different each one is. It blo- oh, yeah. it really is mind blowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, your home state compared to Montana is night and day. Night and day. Yeah, New Mexico is a little bit unique because we don't have a point system, which makes it really nice because everybody has the same opportunity when they apply. Um, unfortunately there's just not a lot of non-resident opportunity. So 84% of the, of the tags are given to residents, which is great for me, but not so much for you guys. Um, 10% is given to outfitters or to, yeah, to outfitters. And then 6% is given to non-residents. So you could, if you want to pay an outfitter and you want to go through that service, then you could get up to there's 16% that are allocated that non-residents can get, but 84% go to residents. There's still opportunity though. There's some good, really good opportunity. I was just talking to my buddy from Ohio the other day and, and he was like, well, if I apply for New Mexico, what should I apply for? And I was giving him some units and there's some really good units out there that have, you know, 15 ish, 10 to 15% draw odds. So, I mean, there's a chance. Yeah. Can't win yeah. if you don't play. That's right. That's exactly right. Some states you got to pay up front, like New Mexico. You have to pay. You got to foot the whole bill. And yeah. if you wanted to apply for everything in New Mexico, I think it's like I'm probably going to quote this wrong. I think it's like seven thousand dollars. You have to pay all of that up front, right? And then you have that money is gone for two. I think it's two months. So the the draw closes mid. Uh, yeah, it, it's out of your pocket for about a month and a half or something like that. And then they issue the refund for whatever you didn't draw. So if you didn't draw bighorn sheep, you get, you know, a pretty good chunk of money back. And then there's other States where you don't pay up front at all. You just pay for a license and you apply and then you sit and wait like Arizona, you sit and wait. And then all of a sudden your credit card gets hit for 700 bucks. And you know, you drew an elk tag. You just don't know which one yet, you know? <laughs> yeah, Chad, when you're, oh, go ahead, Barry. I was going to say, when, when you're, when you're talking to these, these game agencies, are you talking primarily to wardens themselves? Or are you talking to, um, you know, administrative folks, folks that are helping, you know, write policies and, and look at, you know, look at all the, the, the data population dynamics, et cetera, or is it kind of a mix of both? It's a little bit of everything. I've, t- I've talked to people from game wardens, uh, biologists, game managers, um, Kentucky. I talked to the deputy director for the game agency. He came nice. on the show. 
So it's really, I give them, I've had communications managers come on. Um, I really give them the opportunity. So I send them the questions ahead of time and um, it's pretty um, blanket questions. You know, I don't adjust them really for any state. I let them do that. So I send them the questions and I tell them if any of this needs to be changed, please change it. And if you have somebody that you want to come on and talk about all this stuff, then, then um, let's do that. And they'll always, you know, send, they'll give me a point of contact, whoever that is and whoever's a good speaker. The um, New Mexico was kind of fun. Cause I actually went up to the headquarters. We sat down in a big conference room and I was there with the guy that's in charge of actually the, the whole um, tag system, the tag allocation system. He was there. And then the, one of the lead biologists was there. So the lead biologist was able to talk about the game and the health of the game and, you know, just all of the different species. And then the tag allocation guy, he was walking through the draw process and how's the draw work and um, a lot of the insight on that. So that was really, really neat to be able to sit down with them and, that's super cool. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to weave in some new stuff this year too. The the I'll I'll continue to do the game agency stuff, but I'm also trying to get some biologists to come on and talk kind of in generalities, right? About so I'm working with um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation right now, and I'm trying to get one of their lead uh, biologists to come on to just talk about elk in general and habitats where do they live how do they live just all around everything let's just talk about elk and and get to that and then um, mule deer foundation i want to do the same thing there and uh, wild sheep foundation just to not only get some awareness about the the species itself but also i want to bring some awareness to some of these these foundations that are out there and some of that work that's being done on the back end that I think goes unrecognized a lot. You know, some of these foundations are, man, they're out there just creating hunting opportunities and buying land and, or, you know, they might buy two acres of land that actually, once they own that, then it opens up a hundred thousand acres somewhere. And it was just blocked because of that little two acre parcel or whatever. And I just think that's amazing that there's people out there that are working that hard so that people can just go out and recreate. It's super, super cool. So I want to bring some awareness to that. We'll see how that goes. That's all just kind of brand new on the, the species stuff. Yeah. Our buddy, Sam over at infinite outdoors, they do a lot of work with the mule deer foundation. It seems like a solid operation, man, that doing a lot of work so that I can go chase my favorite animal a little more. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that this year I told myself um, I was about to build a new rifle and I don't need a new rifle. I have a lot of rifles and <laughs> I just I was sitting there one day and I was kind of texting with the rifle builder and I texted him and I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to build that rifle. I'm just not going to do it. And later that day I went on and I did a lifetime membership for the Mule Deer Foundation. So instead of buying that rifle and doing all of that, I just kind of spent that money elsewhere, did the lifetime membership. And then we have a, a banquet here for Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation here in Albuquerque. And I'll, I'll probably do the same thing there too. When I go to that, I'm already a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation member, but I just do the annual membership and I think I'll just do the, the lifetime membership. So, um, but I, I think that was a much better way to spend my money than buying a new rifle that I 
I seriously did not need, <laughs> you know, when you, when you have to argue with your buddies and they're like, well, what's wrong with this rifle? Well, nothing. Well, then what's wrong with this rifle? Well, nothing. Well, why do you need one in between those? Because they don't have it, right? Like, I, I need that one too. Yep. And that's that's just not the case. So <clears throat> I think I can use my money better. <laughs> I like that approach. Yeah, it, it works. As you've uh, been navigating these states, man, I was listening to your, your podcast that came out, I think Friday, about your application strategy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want you to give away all of your, your secrets or whatever, but, um, when you started thinking about, okay, well, let's digest this a little bit. Let's think like Randy does right. Long-term middle of the road and short-term hunts. How do you kind of plan your strategy? Maybe for somebody who's just getting into this or has no plan and is just buying points everywhere, which is what I did at the beginning. Yeah. I don't think there's. I don't think there's anything wrong with buying points everywhere, except that it's expensive. It can get very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the states, um, we'll use Arizona. Oh oh yeah, we'll just use Arizona, for example. So you have to buy a license in order to buy a point or apply. Um, Either one, whichever you want to do. You still have to buy the license and it's $160. And if you don't hunt there, if you don't do anything there, then you you buy the $160 license and then if you want the points um they're $15 each right so you you can be into that really really quickly for a couple hundred bucks or more depending on what species you apply for and you don't even hunt that year right so that's $200 it's basically gone and it's kind of that way all over so i when i first started my application strategy I didn't, I wasn't really looking for a long-term goal. I think some people do that. And I think that there's people that are of the age that probably can do that, but I'm an older dude. I don't need to project something for 20 years from now. I just want to go out and I, and I want to hunt. So I was, I started to really kind of look at which States provided some of the best opportunity and then what was closest to where I was at. Right. Which at the time was San Antonio, Texas, so I really started to look at Arizona, um, New Mexico. You can't really gather points, but um, you can still apply there and, and try to draw tags. Colorado was a good opportunity. Um, at the time, Wyoming was a pretty good opportunity. I still, I think that it is still a good opportunity. They just made some changes this year that um, it, it can be pretty expensive to hunt in Wyoming if, if you want to do some of those limited tags. So I look at things more of a short or I'd say mid to short term and, 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 um, midterm type of goal midterm being into that five to 10 point range. I I can't imagine there's any States where I'm going to get over 10 points. You know, I, I just, I'm sitting on five of the, and I, I don't really do bighorn sheep. I don't do mountain goat. I don't do any of that. I just, I enjoy hunting deer, antelope and elk. And I just stick to those three. And I just do it in my, my favorite states, which is I hunt New Mexico, Colorado, and Arizona. That's my big three. And then I buy points in Wyoming. Last year, I started buying points in Utah because Utah has a general season. Um, you can buy general season tags in Utah. And it's like every four years, you can expect to draw a deer tag or or less. You can draw some with like one point in Utah. Really? Um, 
but then they have their limited entry and their general. And if you want to do the limited entry, it takes, you have to buy different points. You buy a limited point or you buy a general point. And if you want to do the limited, you're looking at years before like you draw. Years, right? 17 and then years. 17. Yeah, probably some crazy. of those. It's, it, it's crazy up there, but if you do the general, you can, and they're not great hunts, but there's deer out there, you know, the limited might be during the rut when you're, you're applying for those tags might, might be during the rut in a, a really killer area. Whereas that general tag is maybe three weeks before the rut. And you know, the areas are a little bit less, you're not going to expect to pull some 200 inch deer out of there or 190 inch deer. I don't care. I don't need a 190 inch deer. I mean, it'd be neat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's cool. If I don't get one, I don't, I don't care. Uh, and then Arizona is another one too, for strategy purposes. Arizona has a couple of nuances that I think are important. It does cost money to apply there every year because you have to pay for that license up front. But Arizona, if you apply for five years straight, um, you get a bonus point, which is, it's a loyalty point. So you get an extra point by just continuing to apply. Um, if if you haven't started that, then I maybe you don't want to get into that. But I I didn't. I just started applying in Arizona, and now I can't. Now I have to apply because I don't want to lose my loyalty points. So every year I apply, but I also try to hunt coos deer. Um, they have a similar to Idaho. They have a system where you log on, and you can buy a. Um, I'm doing air quotes here, but it's an over the counter tag. They call it over the counter. Um, or it's, it's called a non-permit tag. And um, you can buy those uh, mid-Novembers when they went on sale last year. But it gives you the opportunity to archery hunt um, any antler deer. And you can hunt coos deer or you can hunt mule deer. Um, and it's there's a, there's a season in January that's an awesome, awesome season. That's when I always try to go out. There's another one in August. There's one in December, and I can't remember if there's one in between August and December. But you have three to four opportunities where you can just go archery hunt for like three weeks if you want to. And you can go out to beautiful Arizona, and you can still apply for deer. So if you have this over-the-counter tag, you can still apply for a rifle hunt, and you can hold both of those at the same time. So you can have your archery tag and your rifle tag. Whichever one you fill first, you can only take one deer, but you still have this opportunity all over Arizona to be able to go chase deer. And yeah. it's super, super fun, man. Yeah. Especially it's a blast. January, right? That's, that's a great option because yeah. a lot of seasons are closed already. Yep. Seasons are closed. The weather is beautiful. Well, this year we kind of, it wasn't great. Um, well, we had really, really good weather. It was like 45, 50 degrees during the day. And then it got kind of cool at night. Uh, and then we got a really crazy snowstorm that blew through and we ended up getting about four or five inches of snow while we were out there, which wasn't a big deal. We were pretty lucky. Me and my buddy had both shot bucks probably 30 minutes before that, before that snow came. Well, we found them about 30 minutes before the snow came in. So hauled them out of there, got them out, got them back to camp, got them skinned out. And before you knew it, we were three inches deep in snow. <laughs> it was wild. But, uh, but yeah, that that's a super fun hunt and it's an opportunity that's out there and it's really kind of, well, I say inexpensive. I don't know what you guys pay for 12 deer, but it's probably not like that Arizona deer tag is 
well, the license is 160 bucks, and then the deer tag itself is like 300 and something. So you're into a deer tag for 500 ish bucks, 550 bucks, I'd which say is a little steep for coming standard, though. I feel like, you know, each year, it's yeah, pricey more and more. And now you got, we mentioned Wyoming earlier. So Wyoming just upped their, uh, what's it called? Limited entry or whatever their special draw, whatever it's called. That's a $2,000 elk tag, man. Two grand for that thing. I ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. 1200 for an antelope. 1200 yeah. for an antelope. Yeah, that's a lot. So there is, I, I say I'll never do that, but I have points. I have a significant amount of points. Well, not significant, but I have a lot of points in Wyoming. And it, it could be one of those things where every like four or five years, if you just put a couple hundred bucks back a year, well, more than a couple hundred, but it could be a thing to where you have a really, really good quality hunt every few years. I, I mean, I'm not paying $2,000 a year to go chase an elk, but if it was every four or five years and it was a group of dudes, you know, and everybody's applying and maybe people draw, I, I could see that or maybe once or twice, but I'm just, I hope the other my fear is that other states are going to see that value on those and that people are going to, every state's going to start raising their prices. I, I just hope that doesn't happen. Well, and we'll and see. we've, we've heard and, and seen like with the popularity of, of hunting out of state now with, you know, folks like Carter and myself being traditional Eastern hunters, having that desire to go out West. And it just seems like that, that movement is becoming increasingly popular. Then you get the pushback from the residents who have been, you know, accustomed to this, this way of hunting their home state forever. And um, the agencies are responding to the, to the increased hunting demand from out of state hunters and as they should, right. Again, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's their resource that they're managing, but um, it, you know, it can create some, some tension or some conflicts between your residents um, versus, you know, the, the out-of-staters, is, is that something you've run into? Yeah. So you want to upset a lot of residents, you start a podcast that's called Out-of-State Hunter, and you yeah, start telling everybody how to go hunt their state. Well, that's that's <laughs> what I was alluding to. I didn't want to say yeah. it like that, but... <laughs> I've, gotten, uh, I've gotten some hate mail, that's for sure, um, through Instagram and stuff. And And you know what, man? It's an easy response to that. It's Without the non-residents coming in and being able to hunt there, not only would the resident tags get increased significantly, right? But there's also no possible way that that resource can be managed at that point. There's, there is just no way that the, the residents of Colorado can manage the elk herd that they have on their own. They would have to shoot like three or four elk each for every hunter in Colorado. And sure that I'm sure that they would love to do that, but that's a lot of meat, man. Like I, <laughs> I don't know too many people that could eat three elk in a year Yeah, and, and then sustain that. Right. And next year have to go out and shoot three or four more. And then the next year after that and go and shoot three or four more. So without the residents or with, without the, the non-residents or the out-of-state hunters going in and, and, helping manage that resource i just think that it would be a problem that 
that some people aren't ready for. And there's usually the ones that do the pushback are the ones that probably could eat three elk in a year. And they say, Hey, get out of here and stop hunting my state. I can manage this resource on my, you know, we could do it on our own. Well, the reality is there's so many hunters that are just weekend warriors that go out there and they might get lucky and they hunt every few years, you know, uh, that, I just think non-residents are an essential part of, of the hunting world and people got to get used to it. But I, I certainly have, uh, gotten my fair share of you're an asshole, stay out of our state and stop <laughs> preaching to the state. Like, like I've gotten quite a bit of it on Instagram and I just, whatever, man, I blow it off and I, I don't get too concerned about it. Nah. You, you, it is what it is. Usually the guys too. Well, I, I'm kind of a snoop, right? Like I'll go and look. And, and a lot of the times the people that are giving me the most shit, I'll go into their Instagram and I'll see, maybe they're from Idaho. And I see that Montana buck that they shot two years ago. And I see that Colorado elk that they shot three years ago. And I'm like, really? Yeah. So, so you can hunt wherever you want to, but I can't go up there and, and hunt in that state. See that quite a bit. Yeah. It is what it is, I guess. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, with it being the midst of application season, Chad, what would you say are some of like the best kept secrets? Maybe not the best, but like the medium kept secrets. You got any tips <laughs> that you'd want to share with folks? Stuff you want to put on your radar? Kind of like that Utah hunt you just told yeah. me? Yeah. Hunt elk in Georgia for sure. <laughs> Always hunt elk in Georgia. I yeah. bet we will soon. No. We'll have a season soon. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's herds all around it, right? Yeah. Up north. North, you guys Carolina, have them north of you. Tennessee. Yep. Yeah. Tennessee, Virginia, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. One of these years. No, I think some of those best kept. So if you're, if you're looking for opportunity, uh, Colorado is always a really great option for elk. And Colorado has very good deer, uh, mule deer. They also have good whitetail. Uh, on the eastern side but it's a lot of private land uh, but they do have really good deer and they have the deer that you can draw with there's some deers that you can draw with zero points and then if you have one deer point it opens up a whole bunch of the state right like you can draw some pretty good i'm talking archery tags rifle tags are a little bit more difficult to get your hands on but if you want to go out and try to hunt deer in september or something 100% draw odds almost with one point. Uh, that's a really, really good option. Elk hunting in Colorado is a good option. There's a little little thing that's kind of interesting about the Colorado draw system too. So you can actually apply for a point on your first choice, right? They, they have a, a deal where it's a hunt code and it just gives you a point and that's it. So you get your point, but then you can apply for a second round hunt you put a hunt code in there and if you draw that it doesn't take away your points you get that bonus point and you still get to go and hunt or you can do the point only and then you can so you get your bonus point and then you can go out and buy an over-the-counter tag and it doesn't take any of your points away from you so there's there's some pretty good ways that you can still accumulate points and continue to hunt in colorado that's a pretty good secret um I always think New Mexico is a, a secret too. Like, I think there's a lot of people that don't apply because they think that, well, one, they don't want to pay a lot of money up front. 
but we do have great deer here. We have fantastic elk here. Like we have some, some of the best elk in the United States, I think here in New Mexico. And, um, it's a little pricey cause you got to pay up front, but there is opportunity and everybody has a chance, right? There's no point system. So you put your name in the hat and you, you could get drawn three years in a row, or you may not draw for 10 years, but, uh, everybody has the same, same chance whenever they apply. And, um, yeah, I think Utah is pretty good having that general season Utah tag. Cause that's every, you know, every three or four. Um, I, I probably have to go read on this, but I want to say that you're, you need to burn those points every four years. Mm-hmm. Like if you had four points, you need to go hunt them or you can't get another one. I may be off on that one. It's been a while since I talked to Utah, but I, I know that on that general tag, you can hunt pretty frequently if you just go over there and, and try to hunt hard. Um, that Idaho over the counter system if you want to drive to Idaho, it works and you can log in. And if you log in, then there's opportunity. If you get a, you don't even really need a low number. Like I said, I, I got a pretty good deer tag and I was number 15,000 and I had a de- I returned it cause I didn't have time for it this year, but I had one. It was yeah. December 1st and I already had a tag in my pocket for 2024. You know, I already knew I could go hunting if I wanted to. Um, there's, so for military, you guys are pretty military focused. There is, a if you're a disabled veteran, there's disabled veteran stuff that you can do up in Idaho and it's a very reduced price tag. I think you pay the, the, um, resident rate and you can get a disabled veteran tag in that over the counter, but they only do a certain number of them and they're, you have to have a pretty low number in that lottery system to get it. If you do though, those are killer, killer tags. And then, um, Oregon has some stuff too. After I said Oregon, I can't remember what it is. I think, um, active duty military and veterans, I think both pay resident prices Mm. to hunt in Oregon. So it's pretty cheap to hunt there. I went there. I was still active duty at the time, but I went out there on a bear hunt with some buddies and we paid resident price for bear. And we were from all over the place. None of us were from Oregon. And we still went out and paid uh, the resident price. So, yeah, Arizona is always a good opportunity. I think Arizona deer, that coos deer hunt is super fun. And I I always encourage people to check into that. You can draw uh, coos deer or there any antler deer. Well, no, the, the draw is coos deer or mule deer. And you can draw coos deer tags for pretty cheap or not cheap, but pretty low points is, is what I meant. Um, three or four points as a non-resident, you can get a really, really good coos deer tag. If, if you're into coos deer, I love them little things, man. So yeah. cool looking. I, I love going to, yeah, yeah. they're cool and they're fun. They're man. They're so small. That one I had, I pulled a packet. The one I shot, um, last month, I went out to the freezer and pulled out a package of the, the uh, backstrap steaks. And it, there was like six steaks in that package. And I probably ate half that backstrap uh, just right there. You know, <laughs> the backstraps are only like 12 inches long on them. And yeah. they're deli- they're absolutely delicious deer, but <laughs> they're just not very big, man. You can pick them up by yourself. And I shot one a few years ago. He, was, he wasn't very big, but I put him uh, where I hunt. There's like a skinning rack and a scale that's that's right near that area. So I just was curious and I took him over and 
hung him up on the skinning rack and he was 82 pounds. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't very big at all, but he ate good, man. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't mad about it when I was eating his tenderloins. Makes the pack out easy. Yeah. Yeah. Usually we just drag them. Yeah. We just drag them out, tie a rope onto them and pull them out. There's no real, we'll just deal with them at camp, clean them up. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. They're man. fun. There's a ton of opportunity out there as you go a little bit. That's all in the West. Um, like I said, out of state hunter, I kind of focus on the whole country, all 50 states. I think there's some really, really good whitetail opportunity out there. Um, and I haven't even gotten all the, it sounds like you guys have some fantastic opportunity. We have uh, Oklahoma has good opportunity. Missouri has some really good opportunity. I think Ohio has some decent opportunity. I'd stay out of Indiana. Like when I talked to Indiana, it was, they were like, yeah, good luck, man. I mean, you can, you can come out here and hunt, but it's all private land basically. So Indiana would be pretty tough. I'm excited to get up into the Northeast area, which I'm going to start. That'll be this, this year, but I'm just real curious what opportunities are out there in the, in the Northeast. And you know, some of them little bitty States like Rhode Island, what, what are people doing up there? What are people hunting? I mean, I know it's whitetail, but I'm real curious, you know, how their system works and if there's any public land to go hunt on and just, just kind of what's going on over there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, there's there's a ton of opportunity out there and it's it's all over the place and it's you know you're putting out a, a wealth of information and you've given us a lot to you've given carter and i a lot to think about here just tonight i mean we just we just flew through an hour and didn't you know it feels like we just started talking so i'm sure there's yeah i'm sure we could keep going and and um you know i i know i speak for for carter and, and all the hle listeners here we we appreciate what you're what you're doing there man putting putting the information out for for guys like us that are trying to learn um, some of these various systems and, and how to go out West and, and just, you know, travel. I mean, this, this stuff is so fun and it's, it's so, there's so much to learn, um, w with traveling out of state. And, and for me, I just love that process, but, but it can be, it can be daunting at times and that barrier of entry there is legit. And so to have someone like yourself that that's doing what you can to, to kind of lower that, um, I think that's, that's really valuable. So, um, before we let you go, Chad, just, you know, Shout out your uh, your social media, you know, where folks can find you. You know, we've we've alluded to it several times here, but just um, put it out there for the listeners and, and uh, hopefully folks can go um, check out a lot of your content. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity to, to put it out there. Out at Out of State Hunter on Instagram. That's all I have. Uh, I, I don't have a website or anything and I don't have Facebook for Out of State Hunter. Uh, backcountry rookies is is another resource too so i will i'll plug that um because so i do a lot of this rules and regulation and the opportunity type stuff is is out of state hunter and i think it's a really really good resource to know what opportunities are out there but if the true barrier of entry is not just how to get a tag and you know the licensing system and what opportunity is there but there's a lot of guys that they don't even know where to start right they don't know where to start with even what kind of backpack do they need or do they even need a backpack or boots or some of that gear related stuff or maybe it's the mapping software that we use there's so much stuff that that can make western hunting really really difficult or seem really difficult and i'll just say that i think backcountry rookies is a pretty good resource for that because that's what i do on 
that's where I learned how to Western hunt was through backcountry rookies. And I've shared over the year. Well, I told you in the beginning, I lost 230 shows or whatever, but there's like 60 or 70 shows up there now. And a lot of those are information based on what do I need to do, right? What do I need to do to even start the process to get out West um, with gear and, and tactics and calling techniques for elk hunting and, different techniques for, for mule deer hunting and all of that stuff. So there's two really good resources right there that I think um, people that want to go West or, or should take a look at and that's backcountry rookies and then um, out of state hunter, of course. And um, I think that I, if my followers listen to this, I think there's, there's a lot of people that want to go East Right. And I think that there's a lot of people that want to go hunt whitetails and they don't know how to do that. They don't know where to begin. And I know that for a fact, I've talked to a lot of people, Western hunters that are like, man, I would just love to go kill 12 whitetail. Like, oh my God, could you imagine doing that? Right. And so I think there's a whole nother adventure out there on the Eastern side. And, and I'm going to try to drive people toward you guys, because I think in the same same boat there right there's a lot there's a whole bunch of resources and there's a barrier to entry for whitetail hunting just as much as there is for the western hunting i didn't know where to start you know i had no yeah. idea for either one i don't know where to go now i do now i know where i would go for whitetail but uh, anyway there's resources all over and and i just think that having these podcasts and these opportunities is is super super cool hopefully people will listen yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. We do. And, and, uh, and I agree completely. There's, there's a ton more to talk about, so we'll have to have you back on sometime chat and, and do a follow up and maybe we can dive into some of that, that, uh, that Eastern whitetail world for some of you Western guys that, that may want to dip your yeah, toes in those waters. But, um, I'd be all about it. Yeah. Every year, my two, my two good hunting buddies are like, man, let's go hunt whitetail. But the problem is I'm usually have already like spent all my, my, vacation time is already spent and then when it comes time to go late november or something and try to hunt whitetails i don't have any time left so yeah. i just never get to do it that's always the limiting factor is that that time that's right T time energy and money it's gonna be you can't have all three yeah that's right yeah Guys, I really, really appreciate it, man. That was an awesome conversation. You were right. An hour went by, a little over an hour went by, like, super fast, man. So that was cool. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, our our pleasure, Chad. We uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. And, and uh, like I said, we'll definitely do it again. And, um, yeah, listeners, go go check out Out of State Hunter. Ton of ton of good resources out there. Ton of good information. Um, and, uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Appreciate it, Chad. And as always, listeners, we cool. appreciate the hell out of you guys. We'll talk to you next week.